Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, I'm Volhagen. I'm Burke. And I'm Vicker. And Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Welcome to the show. This is, of course, the Clerical Airs Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. So we have uh, lots of things today. We're going to talk about uh, the gospel reading for uh, Reformation. We will be... Um, I've got a, a fascinating interview. We've got a question from Jeff that uh, has really sparked the interests of Berg. I can tell he's excited to get to this question. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So uh, uh, let us begin. Uh, so what are you preaching on for uh, Reformation? So uh, we're going to go with the traditional reading for Reformation Sunday. And uh, Vicar, would you please read that text for us? Text is Matthew 11, verses 12 through 19. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. All right. So, so Berg, why do you think this was picked for uh, Reformation? Uh, I think it was picked because um, here we get a wonderful view of what faith is. Uh, often people uh, view this text as uh, persecution against the Church, and that the violent take the Church by force. Um, but I, I, I don't agree with that interpretation. I think it... Uh, I think Luther's interpretation of this text is much better, in that the kingdom of heaven uh, is suffering violence, and the violent, the ones who are actually taking the kingdom, are the believers. We see uh, a parallel passage in Luke chapter 16, uh, verse uh, 16, where Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. So, and so this... I take that as a parallel passage here, that uh, what um, Jesus here is talking about is that the days of the Old Testament law uh, are over. They have been over since the time of John. Uh, and since John has come uh, with the preaching of the kingdom, uh, many people have converted. They've repented, they've converted, and they have been brought into the kingdom, and they desire the kingdom. And we see this with John the Baptist's uh, ministry where everyone is going out to him from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. So there's a, a forceful nature to the gospel. There's a, a powerful. There's a forceful nature in the believer, in that the believer loves God's word so much that it's a, almost a violent love. It's like when, you're, uh, when your baby gets really excited and then mm-hmm. like grabs your hair and sticks your whole face in, in their mouth, you know? Um, it's a it's a violent a violent love a love that wants to cling to God's word and never let it go. It's a love for God's word where you press in and you don't let anything stop you in getting it. And you're you're willing to endure as John was willing to endure. Yes, and then this is contrasted with the generation, with those people who are unbelievers, who uh, they don't get what they want. And so they say that John has a demon, and they say that Jesus is a drunkard, uh, a wine-bibber, he's a glutton, and he hangs out with all of these spiritual losers, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because they are not, you know, they think that they are the piper, and when no one dances to their tune, then they get mad. This is the exact opposite of what true faith is. Um, And this is what makes this text... Uh, so beautiful and so comforting uh, today, and particularly important for for the gospel because um, the gospel—that's what happened at the time of the Reformation. Mm-hmm. It, it it took hold, you know. 
think of how how uh, the people's hearts and minds, how how the gospel was so comforting for them, and how they were willing to fight for that faith and not let the uh, let Rome squelch it. It mm-hmm. was it was uh, something that was kind of a, a passionate love for God's word that permeated through that time. That really is what brought that the fire of that brought about change. But it stemmed from the word of God. It's, it stemmed from the gospel, mm-hmm. and um, and that the law and the prophets prophesy until John. Um, John is the Elijah. He's the he's the one who bears the office of Elijah which was talked about in Malachi chapter 3, that uh, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers, um, that uh, there's a great promise and comfort there that right before the advent of the Messiah, uh, people are going to be brought into the faith. Unfortunately for us, Jesus tells us that in these last days uh, there will be a great apostasy, so we actually see <laughs> the opposite. Um, but nonetheless, I think it is a really great message from God's Word to consider, because I think a lot of times we think the gospel is being so passive that you know it's a it's a sell. You try to sell them on it. Yeah, and, it's it's not a saccharine word. It's not like you're eating a spiritual donut, right? You know. But this is something worth dying for. This is something worth uh, pursuing. This is something worth you grab. You grab a hold of it and you don't let go. Mm-hmm. The gospel is like a like the, a bench, tiger. like the bench press parable, right? Bench press this exactly. <laughs> so yeah, Vicar, any insights? You're you're scribbling. You're writing notes. What are you doing? Are you doing homework? Are you no. actually? Ah, you... <laughs> it's hard to follow up with Berg. All right, he's got the right answer. <laughs> so, uh, I was actually looking at another text too, which would be fun to preach on. What's that? Uh, we mentioned it uh, last time that Second Thessalonians uh, three. Mm-hmm. About the Antichrist, that was the uh, that was the reading in um, Box Church, and it's part of the Thomasius lectionary because the name of it was uh, Saint Thomas Church. Uh, okay, so um, maybe maybe sometime we should uh, do a whole year following our readings from that lectionary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting. Uh, do we have? Do you have that? Uh, um, that whole oh man, what a biblical text? I think it's called by Nesper. No. Yeah, it's just a little book that has a bunch of texts for different occasions, and it has all these different lectionaries in it. It's kind of fun. So, But we do have a, a question that we wanted to get last time, we didn't have time to, and so it's we want to get through that today. Yep. And so uh, uh, why don't we play the Confound the Clerics? Peter, play the intro. Confound the Clerics. All right, so... Uh, uh, question is, this is from Jeff. Good evening. Here is a question I've been meaning to ask about your podcast, if there is ever a good time to work it in. I have heard a pastor state that we no longer recite the I, a poor miserable sinner confession within the Divine Service 3 because we are no lo- we no longer identify as such as followers of Christ. I can sort of understand where the pastor may be coming from, but then I am struggling with why it would have been left in our liturgy all of these years. Any insights over why it is still good to confess would be much appreciated. Another note, I've also been meaning to email about Pastor Bullhagen's digestive issues uh, that we've talked about over the summer. My wife has similar problems that she has determined is an intolerance allergic reaction to wheat and has apparently developed with age. Being careful with her wheat intake has helped but she always seems to come across a food that she realizes has wheat in it after it's too late. She also enjoys a cold brew now and then, so we have to become familiar with reduced gluten beverage options. Thank you. And then he also has an update to the question. As a follow-up to this question, is 1 John John 1, 8 through 10 a good starting point? So... All right, very good. Thank you, Jeff, for the uh, um, for uh, for your words and for your question. Uh, this is a very very important topic uh, that we uh, we actually need to discuss. Um, first of all, to say uh, it, I'm going to start with your follow up question: Is John First John one eight through ten a good starting point? I'll just read that for you. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If And then uh, 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Yeah, I think that's a great starting point uh, for this discussion. I think the biggest problem with this pastor is that he's conflating justification and sanctification. Uh, and you can see this with the sort of identity language. I, I don't like to use that word, identity. That's a loaded word. It's a loaded word today. Um, a better word would be imputed or ascribed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's right in that as followers of Christ, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. It's ascribed to us by faith. And so in the eyes of God, we are perfect and holy and righteous. Uh, this is what we hear in Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but, uh, um, but believeth on him who justifieth the ungodly, uh, his faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. Okay? Justification is something that happens outside of us. It's declared, which means that um, we can have absolute certainty of our salvation. Because for the Father to reject us would be for him to reject the righteousness of his own Son. Yes. And so we can say, and need to say, that the whole world has been absolved of their sins. We can and we must say that the whole world has been reconciled to the Father by the sacrifice of Jesus. And we call that universal justification, or objective justification. Okay? This is very a very, very important thing, okay? Now, the confusion comes in uh, with the next part, sanctification. Sanctification, uh, in its narrow sense, is the inward moral trans, uh, transformation of the believer. This is where the Holy Spirit begins to work in the hearts of men, uh, where he begins to renew their will, conform them to the image of Christ, um, give them new emotions, new strength, new powers, and the like. Sanctification doesn't end. It's it's not. It's never completed until death. It's like the work of a pastor. We always can think of a visit we can still make, some things we can still do. The job of a pastor is never done. The right. job of sanctification, uh, we go back to the simple two tables of law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, anytime someone says oh, I've done that, they're kidding themselves. Right. You know, when when the, the lawyer goes to Jesus and says, well, this I've done, or who is my neighbor, Jesus goes to show, mm-hmm. you don't understand. This is, this is what we call the simul used to set peccator, that we are simultaneously justified and we're still sinners. And this is the distinction between justification and sanctification, Okay. So this is a very important thing. I'm wondering if, if maybe the the uh, maybe there's confusion on the word miserable. Well, and this is a good point, which I was going to bring up later. Okay. Um, miserable doesn't necessarily—it doesn't mean—use <laughs> that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Because <laughs> when we use a word, we think, oh, miserable. I am so miserable. It's 112 degrees outside. Right. But this word comes from the Latin misericordia, which means mercy. To be miserable means that you need mercy. Right. And so when we say that we are poor, we're not talking about physical wealth. We're talking about... Blessed are the poor poor in in spirit. spirit, Right. Um, from Matthew 5. Or or from uh, from Revelation, uh, the church of the Laodiceans, right? Where mm-hmm. they say that we're rich and we don't have need of anything, but what are they really on the inside? Poor, Poor. blind, wretched, naked, right? Um, so that's the thing is that, uh, and we see examples of this throughout Scripture, uh, that Christians still talk about themselves in this way. Uh, for example, Psalm 51 this is the Psalm of David after Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this was written after Nathan had spoken the absolution or the forgiveness to David. And if you read this Psalm, uh, he talks about, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. 
Uh, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me uh, against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Um, create me a clean heart. Uh, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. Uh, and then once again, uh, here is, I think, the main point. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So here, I mean, this sounds a lot like a poor, mercy-needing sinner to me. And this is after Nathan has spoken from the Lord that David is forgiven. So there is a misunderstanding, I think, of the fact that you could be poor, miserable sinner all the time but still be blessed because Christ has paid the price for your sins. So I think maybe there's a maybe the understanding that we're always miserable, we're always... I, yeah, we're not always sad. I mean, I, I look at a lot of people in the world who are unbelievers, and they look pretty happy, they look like they have a lot of money, um, but this is the thing. This is not talking about emotional or socioeconomic positions. Understanding your place before God. Right, we're, this is primarily a theological issue, and you are not complete yet. You're not perfect yet. We see this also in Romans chapter 7, where Paul, the great apostle, one of the most blessed men who have ever walked the earth, what does he say about himself? Uh, he says in uh, Romans seven seventeen, but now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. And the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And so I would go back and reread uh, Romans chapter 7, where Paul ends up saying, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer, of course, is Christ. So here we see both David and St. Paul, both men who have received forgiveness, both men who are believers, who confess that they are still sinful, that they are poor, and that they're in need of mercy. Um, and this is why we keep the confession of sins that we have. And I think the struggle in some cases that, that churches may have with this, and I'm not this if this is a case here or not, is um, we there's an idea that uh, if we're going to sell our church to other people, we want to make sure people know that we're happy or successful. The whole doom and gloom idea, we don't want that to bother people. We want people to, to live in joy and all these things. But really, can you have true joy without the opposite of joy? Can you understand the cross, the kingdom, with you don't have a cross? You know, well, can you understand forgiveness if there's nothing to forgive? Can you understand Easter truly without Lent? You know? Right. Um, and that's the thing. Luther said it the best in his Antinomian Disputations, um, where he was fighting against people who said, well, uh, we don't need to preach the law anymore to Christians. We just don't have to do that. And he ended up saying that if you lose the law, you lose forgiveness, wrath and forgiveness. And if you lose wrath and forgiveness, you lose, um, or uh, yeah, you lose forgiveness and punishment. If you lose punishment and forgiveness, you lose gra uh, wrath and grace. And if you lose wrath and grace, you lose God and man. And if you lose God and man, the only thing you're left with is the devil. And to kind of to help understand how this is a, a theological understanding rather than emotional to your point earlier. Mm -hmm. Imagine if the whole service was the emotional aspect of it. We would just be frowning and smiling the whole time. Yep. You know, <laughs> it would be, I am a poor miserable sinner. Okay, you forgive me. Then uh, have mercy on me. Okay, God has mercy. Okay, now I'm happy again. And then you get to the sermon. Okay, we are poor, wretched sinners. But God has forgiven me. Okay, I'm frowning, smiling, frowning, smiling, up and down, up and down the whole time. When, when, uh, it's both. You could be joyous as a sinner, knowing that God forgives you, but you could also be sad in your in your sin because it's crushing. Well, and that's the thing, is that repentance, contrition for the Christian, one who has already been justified by faith, 
which we read about in Psalm 51, is actually a good work, mm-hmm. right? What are the sacrifices of God? A broken and contrite heart, right? It, it's easy as a pastor to convince the hearers of your sermon. It's easier to conv- easy convince them that such and such thing is a wrong is wrong to do, mm-hmm. and it's really easy to convince someone sitting in the pew that the people sitting around them are grave and sinners. It's much more challenging of a task to bring that sinner sitting in the pew to come to that conclusion of themselves sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and or to do, because they will say, oh yeah, I do things wrong, but I, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Right? Yeah. Which isn't real contrition. And God uses certain times in our life, certain instances, to humble us, mm-hmm. to bring this about. You see it all the time in Jesus' own work. Yep. You see people who are broken who come to him, who have nothing who come to him, who are in desperate need of mercy who come to him. And he says to them, those broken folks, he's the one that comments on the faith of them. Right. Because those they, who are sick have no need of a physician. Because the natural reaction response of faith in their situation is, I am poor, I cannot fix this, I am undeserving. And, and in that confession, and here's the thing, when you say, from a biblical st- standpoint, I am a poor, miserable sinner, that is a statement of strength and faith. Mm-hmm. Because you're saying, I am a poor, miserable sinner, but God rescues me. Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying, uh, Lord, have mercy is a, is a faith. I mean, you, you look into it. That's why we start off with, um, um, oh, my gosh, how does it? I do it every Sunday, too. Now I can't remember it. How does uh, Divine Service Setting 3 start off? Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true, true heart, heart and confess, and confess our, our sins sin. unto God our Father. Yeah, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, right? So first, we're saying that God has the power, right, to forgive us because he made heaven and earth. Then in the next part, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, uh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, the promise that um, that there is forgiveness. So it's amazing how even before our confession of sins, there's already the gospel present. Mm-hmm. You know, there. Uh, so I'm sorry for my— And even, uh, even before that, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you—, you which should remind us of our baptism. Yeah, you, you are you are beginning as a baptized child of God, baptized in the name. It doesn't nullify that as Christians we confess, "I am a poor, miserable sinner." Now I'm going to take uh, Jeff's comment, Jeff's uh, question, and just hijack it, just like Gomer Pyle got his okay. own show from uh, Andy Griffith. Do you do you want to do you want to real talk? Uh no, that's fine. Okay. I, I'm not. I probably won't be all that uh, emotional about it. Okay. <laughs> but uh, um, one thing I think, as Christians, we need to watch out for is uh, confounding law and gospel, mixing the two together. Mm-hmm. And uh, one part that we didn't get to in Walther's theses was thesis twelve, which says you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you teach that the reason our sins are forgiven is because we both believe and are contrite. Where contrition becomes a cause of our forgiveness. And you can see this, uh, people might think this, right? Especially with that first part. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Rather than seeing that as a gracious invitation, Mm -hmm. it's, well, I got to confess, and then God will forgive me. Right, as though there is a, a, you're saved by how badly you feel about it. How badly you feel about it, right? Um, that uh, I am heartily sorry, sincerely repent. Um, that uh, uh, that if we don't confess, um, our uh, God won't forgive our sins because we didn't do our part of the deal. Yeah, right? which would be synergism. Right, and this was a big thing uh, in the Reformation. It was actually, uh, there's actually a controversy. It's called the Cordatus Controversy. This was in 1536, where Conrad Cordatus, who was a pastor, uh, attended a class in Wittenberg, uh, where Caspar Krusiger, who was, uh, 
he was a, a a buddy of Luther's and uh, hung out with him in Melanchthon. One of the hymn writers, great hymn writers. Yeah. And so Krusiger was teaching that in addition to the work of Christ, human repentance was also necessary in justification. Uh, so, and this was a big thing. Uh, it wasn't really actually solved until after, um, un- until the next generation of Lutherans. Um, because Melanchthon uh, was kind of a tool. And, uh, and yeah, it's not just because I've been reading Bente, but I mean, if you read <laughs> Luther's biography, he was kind of, he was kind of a weasel. He knew that there were differences between him and Luther, uh, but he kind of hid it under the, Mm-hmm. under the radar. And Melanchthon, and don't get me wrong, he wrote a lot of our confessions, uh, and we are very grateful for that, but he still wanted to see some sort of human involvement in how we are justified or declared righteous by God. And so for him, he said, look, um, human repentance is necessary in order to be justified. Okay? In order to receive forgiveness you got to do your part of contrition. And uh, the Lutherans after, uh, in the in the Book of Concord, actually do a very good job of talking about this. And Walter does a good job, too. He says that contrition is necessary, right? Mm-hmm. It is. It's necessary. because. But why is it necessary? Is it necessary so that God forgives your sins? Of course not. Like it's the order wrong. God has already forgiven your sins in the death of Christ. The world has already been reconciled to the Father. Right? It's already done. The thing, the reason why repentance is required is because, as Solomon says, one who is full loathes honey. If you are full, or if you don't know, or as Jesus says, you know, those who are sick need a physician, not those who are healthy or well. Right? If you don't know you're sick, you're not going to want the gospel. If you're full, you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mm-hmm. and you won't be filled. And that is the whole point of contrition. Contrition is when the law of God smites you. It's like starting a wildfire and mm-hmm. burning away all the crap, mm-hmm. all the dead wood. This is what contrition does. It breaks you down. It is uh, The law is a, is a hammer which smashes the rock to pieces. And this is God's work, not our work. This is why it is necessary. It clears the ground. Um, it shatters the heart. So that way the gospel can enter in. So, so Berg, uh, let me ask it this way. Let's say as a Christian, you find yourself in this position, uh, and, and how would you advise this person? Someone comes to you and says, I know, um, I know what Scripture says, but when I think of the cross, it kind of leaves me unaffected. You know, I mm-hmm. hear it so many times, maybe, that it just kind of one ear and out the other. I know I'm forgiven, and so there it is. It doesn't really bring that contrition like it should. What would you tell that person? Oftentimes, our flesh leaves us cold. Um, and I would uh, I would encourage that person um, to actually go back to God's Word and continue to read it uh, and to sing hymns that actually uh, um, that actually uh, uh, teach what we are. Um, so, for example, if I were... Uh, I think that would be the best medicine for them. So, for example, I would have them sing um, um, In Adam's Fall, All Mankind Fell mm-hmm. every day of the week. I would have them sing From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee every day of the week. I would have them go go through and read Psalm 51 um, or Romans chapter 7 every day of the week. And the reason why is that the more you read God's Word and the more you uh, do these things, um, hope, and, and I would also have them pray before they do all these things that, you know, that the Holy Spirit would uh, work in their hearts in order to bring them to a deeper understanding of their own sinful nature. And what it cost our Lord uh, to uh, save them? Because, because there was a the reason why I asked that question. I'm going back to what what Jeff asked. Okay, because there is a, a trade of thought often in Christianity that says, "Well, the cross doesn't move the needle like 
it does because we understand we're forgiven. So let's move on from that. Right. Um, Walther actually talks, you know, because these are lectures to um, to uh, uh, young preachers, and this is what he says uh, to young preachers. He says, many apprentice preachers are afraid they might lead people to despair. They do preach that contrition must come before faith, which is quite correct, but they fear that unless they add some saving clause to that statement, someone in their congregation may despair. For that reason, they qualify their statement by saying, even though you do not feel much pain, as long as you just wish you were contrite, God will receive you. Softening contrition in this way actually makes the claim that contrition is the true cause for the forgiveness of sins. This is false comfort. What makes God happy is not that I might wish to be contrite. Rather, what makes him happy is when the gospel is preached to me and my contrition would prepare me to believe that I am a lost, that I am a poor lost sinner. The preacher ought to say this, Look, when you have come to the point that you are hungering and thirsting for the grace of God, you have all the contrition you need. God does not require contrition as a way to atone for your sins, but only for the sake that you may be awakened from your security and ask, what must I do to be saved? So the thing is, is like people who, see, I have the opposite problem. For me, the law is a daily companion. Um, mm-hmm. And when you understand, I would say that a person who uh, views what views the, the death of Christ in this way, um, they really don't understand the law, and they really don't understand the curse of the law. Uh, Luther puts it this way: If if you the cross leaves you unaffected, then you should take a closer look to see what exactly your sin does deserve. Yeah, look at the I, wounds of Christ and how the judgment that He carried. Now, don't get us wrong. We're not saying you know you have to um, what you know water your bed with tears or blah, 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 blah. What we are saying, though, is like... Um, <laughs> I, I, how about this? How about... does The two, the law needs to be preached in its full sternness. It, it, it's kind of... Wouldn't you say it's two sides of a coin aspect? I mean, you can't have one without the other? Well, it, it, you can like, have the law without the gospel. Right, but if you have... But it, the, the coin is faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. You cannot have, yeah, faith without repentance or faith that's lived with mortal sin, you know, um, that's not true faith. If you don't actually feel bad for what you do, then you can't hear the gospel. You need to hear the law. Um, but, and- but, but, but it's not, when we're talking about this, we're not talking being forcing people to feel certain things. It's to rather look at things honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we actually knew the depth of our sin, um, I think it would be a miracle that we wouldn't all commit suicide. If we actually could see how much evil we have done and how much how much judgment we deserve, uh, and <laughs> if we we saw if we actually could understand how much our sin has truly hurt people, hurt people, hurt God, right, right, how much we've offended Him every single day. Um, I would be surprised if we didn't all commit suicide, because uh, it would it would bring us to despair. Um, but there is a holy despair, there is a holy grief, and that's the whole point of contrition, to make one hunger and thirst for righteousness, um, to prepare one, uh, for the preaching of the gospel. And so that's the thing. It's it's not like when God says uh, in Psalm thirty two. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That isn't a transaction. Right. It is a gracious invitation. Right. So, yeah. Which is which is why I like the two sides of the coin. It's 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 uh, not. Luther says that the Christian life is always one of repentance, and repentance is both contrition and faith, as the small called articles say. So. And so, don't be afraid of the poor, miserable. No, embrace it. Because if you're not poor and miserable, then you don't need a physician. You don't need Jesus. And if you don't need Jesus, um, well, good luck. <laughs> and, and by the way, um, if this is done out of for uh, reasons of we of uh, wanting more people to hear the word of God or reach more people, more people, I think, who aren't Christian who become Christian 
they want to be told the truth. Yeah, I mean, you can never force it. It's uh, God knows those who are his. So be bold. Preach preach truly and correctly. You can't uh, tickle the old Adam and make him into a church member. And if you do, uh, you're going to make him a Pharisee. Yeah. And so uh, we should be bold and confident in what the Bible teaches, and uh, God will preserve his little flock. Well, this is a a good time uh, to start a new segment. So uh, we're gonna have to start recycling some of the old segments right. and bring them back. Hey, hey, listener, what are some of the segments that you appreciate the most that you want us to do more of? Because Berg brought to me, hey, are you gonna do any of those? What it is, what it ain't, what it could be, and I'm like, you know, I have forgotten that. Those those were fun to do. I should do more of those. Yeah. So where can they reach us, Vicar? So they can reach us by email feedback at clericalerrors.org. Find us on facebook.com slash podcast, and on Twitter at clericalerrorsp, P for podcast. All right. At me, bro. So uh, what I did is uh, um, one thing we haven't done a lot in, in the show is some interviews, right? Yeah. I Really, we haven't. No, not too many. We did some... Maybe uh, at the convention episodes. Yeah, and those we did, weird episodes. <laughs> we did a we did a talks and tastings one. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed once the the bishop of Siberia, right? Um, and that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, but uh, I want to interview someone here. Uh, we all want our congregations to grow, right? Yep. Okay, and. Uh, um, I heard of a pastor who, uh, uh, a very successful congregation, by what many would say, his uh, congregation has tripled in size in the last 10 years. Oh, wow. I heard about this, and uh, I thought I would interview see if we get any insight. So I got the first part of the interview that we're going to, to play tonight, and I just maybe thought maybe you'd have some reaction to it, okay? All right. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and play that interview. Um, so welcome. I am talking uh, to Pastor uh, Chris Christian, who is pastor at Just Him Christian Church in Port Port uh, Berlin, Oklahoma. Uh, it's good to have you with us today. It's uh, good to be here. So uh, you are the pastor of one of the fastest growing churches uh, at Portland, uh, Oklahoma, there in central Oklahoma. So, so uh, tell me about uh, about your story and how how this is working out. Well, it's just been amazing. It's it's been awesome. God is doing wonderful things. We've touched a lot of hearts to Him be the glory. We've changed a lot of lives to Him be the glory. In the last ten years, to Him be the glory, we have tripled in size uh, over the last ten years. Oh, okay. So. What would you say is the the guiding principle that's that's helped you grow like this? Well, yes, there 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 is. Uh, the The principle is this: um, it's not about theology; it's it's just about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Well, well, what do you mean by that? Well, a few years ago, back when I was a sales associate for Payless Shoes, the store closed, and I would say I hit rock bottom. I remember getting into my Reliant K car. And I saw a beautiful Mercedes there in the parking lot. And uh, <laughs> the bumper sticker said, Honk if you love Jesus. And, well, if my horn had worked at the time, I would have honked. But it didn't. But uh, to God be the glory. Um, the thought of just the name Jesus for me was just transformative. It stuck with me. And it was laid on my heart that the same name could transfer, transform others. Um, I had really at the time no training in theology, and I still don't, but I knew that there were others like me who were tired of theology. It seems kind of angry or confusing. It gets in the real way, the way of real ministry. And uh, I just wanted to give people Jesus. Okay. So, uh, uh, is that, that's kind of where you started then? Is that how you started? Well, yes, we kind of had um, um, humble beginnings. Uh, every Sunday morning at uh, at the time of 10.43, 
at exit uh, 258 here in Port Lynn, Port Berlin, Oklahoma, uh, there at the rest area, uh, we found a home. It was clean. It had nice restrooms. Um, right on the highway, easy to find. And, uh, and that's where I wanted to begin inviting people to rest with Jesus. Oh, interesting. So is that how you started off? Yes, it started off with me and my mother and a man named Milton who happened to be stopping by on his way to drop off some feed at Wichita um, at that very time, to him be the glory. Um, so you said you've tripled in size over the last 10 years? Yes, we um, just celebrated our 10th anniversary, to him be the glory, and we've tripled in size. Well, if I'm doing my math right, um, that's nine. To him be the glory. You know, just when I was about to give up, uh, I remember shaking my fist and saying to God, God, you've you've just given me too much. Uh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You know, Milton at that time had gotten a new truck route, so we stopped seeing him. Um, And Sunday mornings became a day that they were waxing the floors, and, uh, and so it was getting noisy. But then a miracle happened, to him be the glory. Oh, it did? What happened? Well, um, my mother remarried, and uh, Sawyer and his five children also became a part of the ministry. Oh, so what you're saying is not only did you triple your size, your children's ministry grew exponentially. I, uh, I like the way you think, Bullhagen. Well, we will continue this discussion next time. And, and what I really want to talk about is I have more questions about your guiding principle. Uh, it's not about theology. It's just about Jesus. Because theology is actually the study of God's word, of God, literally. The study of God in Jesus is God. So how can you have Jesus without theology? Um, Bullhagen, I see what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work. Well, we'll get into that next time. Uh, uh, next time, as we continue our, our, uh, our conversation with Pastor Chris Christian, the pastor of Just Him Church there at Exit 258 in Port Berlin, Oklahoma. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, well, I'm glad you uh, finally made some contacts in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, if anybody knows uh, Pastor uh, Chris Christian. Uh, I mean, he kind of sounds like Al Bundy in some ways. <laughs> Is this something we should continue with, or is it too weird? <laughs> I, I don't know. I I don't I don't know where you're going with it. So, um, you know, uh, Peter, yeah. is that something we should go with, or is it too weird? <laughs> Man, I don't know. All I can think, I've got no. Clue. I I kind of want to see how it plays out. <laughs> I'm me too. I'm I, kind of in that same I, boat. Was like. <laughs> So, you know, yeah. like really it's, it's not, it's not great, but like, uh, I want to see it in, you know? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm really glad this guy is not my vicar supervisor. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it was good hearing the history of just him church, uh, in 10 years to him be the glory. Um, you know, they've, uh, Hey, they're up to 10 members. Thanks be to God. So. So yeah, no, it'll be good when you guys finally start getting into we, the, we, uh, Yeah, we get some, into some meaty stuff coming up. I just right. thought maybe this would introduce uh, uh, him and, and the, the ministry he's involved there in, in Port Berlin, Oklahoma. Yes. Yes. So, all right, well, what are we... Uh, <laughs> we don't know what to do now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> uh, how about a top 12 list? Yes. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. All right, so Top 12. Bullhagen, do you have anything for us today? So what this is, is um, um, we hear a lot of confusing statements in Christianity that I don't understand. I don't know if they always make sense or they have some truth to it, but not 100% truth to it. Mm -hmm. And I just thought they would be good... uh, a conversation. So um, these are top 12 things, Christian statements that make Pastor Bullhagen go, hmm. Can I, I, can, not... can, I, can I call it Christianese? There you go. 12 Christianese statements that make Pastor Bullhagen go, hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it's kind of, this happens with the vicar sermon where they'll make a statement and I'll say, well, what exactly does that mean? Not this vicar, of course. Um, but do you uh, have a really good, uh, really good example of what does this mean from a vicar? No, no, not right now. <laughs> Some of them actually might be in my list. So, <laughs> number twelve. Everyone has heard this about a thousand times, and I still don't know what it means. Make God number one in your life. Yeah, I, I don't really know what that means because I know what the first commandment is fear loving and trusting in God but to make God number one I think of like blue ribbons like right now he's number two in a race yeah did did God win the uh the blue ribbon at the uh at the stock show yeah like 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 God's like competing for your attention like he's you know it's well and it's it's still not what the first commandment says right yeah because then there's always a second place and a third place, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. But what does the first commandment actually say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, um, where God is the only. Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, I don't know, I think it cer- cer- some, at some point confuses law and gospel, too. Right. You know? But I, how many times have I heard that? Have you guys heard that? And you're like, uh... Is it possible they mean it kind of like when people say safety first? Like that could be. This should be our top priority? I suppose. Yeah, but it's one of those that just, it just become like... Ugh. Yeah, window dressing. Yeah, Christianese that I don't always understand makes me go, hmm. Number 11. God placed this on my heart for me to say to you. That makes me go, hmm. Where, where does that even come from? Do you do you know? No. Did you do any research? Like, I mean, like, and now I'm interested. Like, where does that come from? Because, like, I have weird thoughts. Imagine, Burke, imagine if all my weird thoughts, I came to believe that God placed that weird thought on my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I In a way, it, what it does is, what confuses me about it is it, it gives a false authority to my own thoughts and opinions, and it makes my thoughts and opinions appear as though it is actually God's word. So if okay, I okay, so uh, uh, yeah, so this is uh, I just looked it up, I googled it. Okay, so what does it mean when God puts something on your heart? If God places a desire in your heart, then it's a part of His plan, which means He has plans for it. He will give you His plans to accomplish the desire that He has placed in your heart. Okay, that's even worse. <laughs> what's the what's the source for that? Um, Google, uh, theologymix.com. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's awful, because there. Are, uh, I mean, what does Jeremiah say? Right, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Yeah. So the the whole thing is, this makes me go. I mean, that's. But I think most people when they hear that God places on my heart, don't you think? Like a good portion of the people think to themselves, hmm, did he really? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, because no one says, uh, God placed this on my heart. Um, uh, you shall not commit adultery. That, that, that never comes out. Uh, God placed this on my heart. You shall not bear false. That just never happens. No, no. <laughs> that never happens. Number 10. Sometimes we just need to love on that person who needs your help. Have you ever heard that phrase? Things that make it go the whole love on someone. Uh, I, yeah. Have you heard this? this Vicar, you're you're shaking your head. I wish I hadn't heard it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That or similar, yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's the unneeded uh, preposition, I think. Okay, so love on. (laughs) Sometimes also just love on to demonstrate care, concern, or platonic affection for someone by using words, actions, or non-sexual physical touch. See, is it really that hard to use uh, prepositions in the right way? <laughs> right. You don't need a preposition there. Right. I. Uh... Do you think someone's ever said, uh, actually, if you would love off me right now, that would be great? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, uh, I, I think this is what Luther would call enthusiasm. Just just a little bit. Ugh. And not and what he means by enthusiasm is not yay, being enthusiastic. It means uh the spirit apart from the written word of God. Number nine. God helps those who help themselves. Boo. <laughs> I think we we covered that for about twenty minutes today, didn't we? Yes. Vicar, how did we cover that one? Talking about confession. Yeah. And the reality that, no, we don't go to God to almost bribe him into forgiving us. He's already forgiven us. Poor, miserable. Miserable means I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, I mean, if the way that people really mean it is like how we would talk about um, vocation, right? Mm -hmm. That... uh, you know, if we are, uh, God works through means. And if they mean it in that way, okay, whatever. But it's but it's still a very confusing and not a cool way of talking. So, um, and, and I would say maybe sometimes I have heard kind of the opposite um, from Lutheran preaching, and this would be something that has come up in, in vicar sermons before that, I, that I've addressed, is when you talk about um, the pra- depravity and, and the things— you know, I, a poor, miserable sinner, it could be preached in such a way, so don't even try as though it is, you know, you can't do love your neighbor, so... Right, which is another problem, because we actually, we actually do. When we are reborn, when we are converted, uh, we actually do begin to fulfill the commandments. We never do it perfectly, but we actually do cooperate with the Holy Spirit, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, of this kind of this this God helps uh, those who help themselves. Another thing that kind of bothers me about it is it has the same kind of attitude is something that as pastors we deal with all the time. We're talking about uh, people forgiving each other. You know, mm-hmm. of course I'll forgive someone if they come to me, and if they they uh, they kind of bow down and kiss my ring and tell me right. just how sorry they are. The, yeah, though maybe I can I I would forgive them. It's 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 like that for me to forgive them. That person needs to really help themselves. I right. wash my a, hands of them. It becomes a transaction. It becomes a legalism. Right. You have to do this, and then I'll do this. Yeah. So, what do you think of the list so far? Are, are they also things that make you hmm? Pretty terrible Christianese. All right. Number eight. God won't give you anything more than what you can handle. Right. And you're referencing, of course, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, 13. Right. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So what do you think the difference is between that and God won't give you anything more than you can handle? Uh, God will give you a means of escape in the biblical rendition of this. Right. Um, And sometimes God gives us things that actually will crush you. (laughs) Right. Uh, We see this in in 2 Corinthians, actually, uh, verse 1, where... where Paul and his brethren are actually given more than they can handle. <laughs> in uh, ver- uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 and following. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And see, that's what... What uh, the problem with this statement and how it's used? Because it says God won't give you anything more than you can handle. Who who's the action yeah, coming from? Yeah, it's who it's it the points man. you to. You, God knows just how strong you are, and He will make sure you can't have anything more than you can handle. Yep. So buck up and carry your burden. Whereas the Bible, especially Second Corinthians one eight and following, says. 
uh, that we may not learn to trust in ourselves, but to trust in God who raises the dead. Right? That that's the whole point of this. It it kind of goes back to our earlier discussion. I a poor miserable sinner. Yes, a, mer- a mercy needing sinner. Right. Right. Which is awesome. You're, you're making the statement. I've been given more than I could handle. <laughs> yep. So, but, but that one I think is probably one that, as Lutherans, I might have said that in the past without actually thinking it before. Yeah. I'll be it, honest. It can be a real. Yeah, I mean, all of these quote-unquote, could be understood in a right way, but why speak sloppy about it? Right. Um, because, and, and, it's, and also, too, it's spoken in in situations that could actually be more destructive. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Think about when those things are usually spoken. Well, God won't give you more than you can handle. You're talking to someone despair. Yeah, to someone who's just, you know, gotten kicked in the face by life. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's probably not what you want to tell them. Yeah. So it's not all that comforting, guys. And and the, the number seven falls in the same same type of idea. Number seven. Everything happens, Berg, for a reason. Oh, yeah. What what, what makes what do you th- what makes me go hmm about that is well then because we're human, we think we can either find the reason, ascertain the reason, and try to. You know, you know another another situation where, uh, where it's used, and certainly it's not wrong. Yeah, but I mean, with sin, sin is senseless. I, I mean, any punishment that we receive here on earth is from sin. Um, and the thing is, is I mean, would you really say that to Joseph right. after he's been you know cheated by his brothers? And, you know, yeah, it happened for a reason. Still sucked. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so th- think about when that is used. You're talking to someone who is in great despair. Yeah. What's much better is to quote from Romans chapter 8, that uh, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And right. how is that different than everything happens for a reason? Uh because, I mean, this way God isn't some gigantic bulldozer just destroying your life and putting in a new, you know, uh, on-ramp in uh, Port Berlin. <laughs> but uh, um, he's actually working things together for your good. Um, and, and the fact that when what happens is when you say everything happens for a reason, and, and then it'll say, it can send you into thinking, okay, and I've, I've seen this happen a lot where people then look for reasons. I mean, what happens if your child dies? You know, okay, try to explain the reason for that. Yeah. I mean, I can. It's because your child was a sinner. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, how how comforting is that? It's it's not. Rather, uh, talk about that, um, how God the Father sent his only begotten son to suffer and experience all of hell for every sinner for three hours on the cross so that, uh, and that he did it for your sake. I mean, that's comfort. Um, and that even if we suffer now, like, uh, point them to this, to the history of Joseph who says you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save many lives. But it took him like 20 years to find that out. And so, that's what I, I like about the scripture way then everything happens for a reason because this also is uh to to use your your language it's a mystery it is if if you say everything happens for a reason you you seek to take the mystery out of it and then it and it look for just reasons. simply becomes a problem to be solved a christianized you know when god gives you lemons make lemonade fine you know Ugh. um but but when you talked about it, everything works out for good, that, you, that it's not saying you're going to understand, because even mm-hmm. if there are reasons, you're not going to understand it. Right. You know, when, uh, when God asked uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, okay, do you think uh, Abraham f- at the time fully understood everything? No. I mean... Do you think he was... He, he, under, he was... Abraham was thinking, oh boy, this is... this. This account of what's happening today is really going to be a blessing to Christian believers yeah, for the thousands next, of years yeah. 
later, and he'll be an example so that that Pastor Berg can teach his children of the the sacrifice God made for for our salvation. Do you think? No. No. What he did believe is that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. Right. And that's that is what we put our trust in, that Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, still rules over all things. And, and, the, and he loves us, and we know that because he died on the cross for us. I want to do a list like this because um, I think there might be people listening who have some baggage from that, mm-hmm. who maybe are angry with God because of the reason thing, or God helps them who help themselves. That, 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 that really became a burden for them. Right. So if you have any thoughts or any suggestions on what you think should be on this list, let us know. But this has been things that make Bullhead and go... Hmm. All right. So I think we're about done for today. Yeah. I think uh, the, job, the train wreck is almost done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. When we do two in a row, I think the second one always winds up being a little interesting. <laughs> you mean amazing? <laughs> so. So. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. And I'm Vicar. And may your confession be poor and miserable. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.